This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in your podcast app. All right. So we wanted to thank uh, the Carsey Wolf Center for hosting this event in coordination with the Media Fields Journal Conference entitled Zones of Mediation. On behalf of the conference organizers, we just wanted to express how thrilled we are to have Jessica Woodworth, co-director uh, and co-writer of the film Altiplano, um, here with us today. So thank you so much, Jessica, for, for joining us today and having this conversation. Thank you. It's a pleasure and an honor to be here with you virtually. Just, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> um, so just to go ahead and, and get started, um, what is Altiplano for, for you, your team? How would you summarize the film? And also, can you talk a bit about the, the title for the film? Because um, as we were chatting the other day, there's a very interesting sort of um, history in terms of the naming of the film itself. Sure, yeah. So I'll give a little bit of context. So um, uh, this was a, a film, a fiction feature film that we shot in uh, 2008 uh in uh in peru um in the region uh in the coca valley so above arequipa so very very high <laughs> and this is a a second uh fiction feature that peter brosens and i made he's a, a belgian uh, flemish uh, film director uh, we had previously uh, shot a fiction film in mongolia uh, in 2006, and that was our first uh, foray into fiction filmmaking, and Altiplano became our our second. Um, but they're very closely linked, and we'll talk about that uh, slowly but surely. Yes, well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's a story uh, born from multiple sources, uh, um, and uh, and driven by um, a, a yeah uh rage uh conviction that cinema has a, has a, has a, a part to play in 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 dialogue between and amongst all of us yeah and uh from the very start it was a um a story built around two women uh Saturnina a young um bride uh, living in the high Andes, uh, who is in a community that's been struck by uh, a tragedy, a mercury spill. Uh, and so the community is uh, contaminated and she eventually takes her life in protest. Uh, and so the second uh, um, pillar, main character is Grace, this war photographer of Iranian origin, uh, who, who, um, uh, as an incident in Iraq while she's working, uh, her, her, her guide is assassinated and she actually has forced to take a photograph of this assassination. So she loses her, uh, in fact, all of her convictions there at that moment. And her husband, uh, Max, uh, is a Belgian uh, cataract surgeon who, who works in itinerant uh, cataract clinics who finds himself in Peru, uh, in this community near where Saturnina lives, uh, in an, uh, a clinic where uh, it gets embroiled in, in, a, in a local conflict, and he loses his life there. Uh, 
uh, in a protest. And uh, and Grace makes this pilgrimage uh, in mourning in her you know, uh, bottomless grief. She makes a pilgrimage to this place uh, in the high Andes uh, in order to 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 resolve uh, uh, resolve this uh, mourning process and. And in effect, these two characters, Saturnina, who is drifting around as a restless spirit at that point, and Grace, who's uh, on her pilgrimage uh, of mourning, they cross. So it was our wish that these two women have these destinies, which are seemingly extremely um, distant from one another through circumstance. Uh, we collapse time and space and their lives do cross mm -hmm. because we, 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 our world is very small and all of our stories are linked. And in the, the big, big picture, uh, these are all our stories. And so we wanted to have a, a broken image maker uh, cross paths with someone who is possibly um, um Invisible to some and visible to others, uh, but who carries in her the rage of a community and commits to camera uh, because she films her suicide. Uh, uh, this this act, uh, heroic act, where she gives her life back to her community. So this image maker is confronted with a, a, the most potent image ever, uh, and and this this starts a process of healing. So. Yeah, so it's uh, um, it was our wish to to build these two stories uh, um, around uh, a context inside an arena that had uh, uh, integrity. Oh, and this is connected, I think, with the title. Yes, um, in terms of the naming for the title and so on, sort of that process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we uh, we've we've made in total six fiction feature films and it's become a habit to have a working title and at the right. very last minute the very end of the process to change the title <laughs> so we were all trooping around the andes with you know the coats of the shooting crew with fragments of grace this was the original title <laughs> fragments of grace yeah and uh and as as we sort of stumbled all of us through the whole process, uh, production and post-production, we realized, we recognized that that didn't do justice to the story. Uh, that having the uh, the name Grace in the title also uh, um, drew too much attention to one of the two main characters, which didn't seem just uh, as time went on. Um, it seemed uh, uh, much more appropriate uh, to call the film Altiplano. Uh, it's uh, it's 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 where the film was shot. Uh, it's uh, it's a sort of geological geographic space that uh, doesn't carry judgment. It's uh, it's uh, it uh, it doesn't project anything. Uh, um, um, it reveals. It opens actually. It opens uh, the story. So you can look at it in a larger, more sweeping context because it's a quite an epic, epic story shot in an epic manner. Uh, and so on every level, it seemed to fit the, it fit the film more comfortably. Uh, it seemed to have uh, more integrity. Yeah. So, and speaking and to, this, to this broader context, you also mentioned how the film, of course, is part of a of what some scholar. I'm not sure if this is your term or just what uh, the term that some scholars have used to describe your your trilogy, but an eco crisis trilogy. 
Um, so I was wondering whether you could just briefly sort of talk about uh, the trilogies again, very quickly, sort of holistically, and then where Altiplano sort of functions as the second film in the trilogy. Yeah, so so the third film, which we shot subsequently, is called The Fifth Season. Uh, and uh, we shot it in, in the forests of Belgium. Uh, and it was... Um, uh, we had been in Mongolia working for years on Hadak, our first fiction feature and then we were three years in Peru working on Altiplano and we felt the need to work in our backyard so we we did we shot it in our actually in our village uh, with all of the the locals this is a habit <laughs> working very closely with the locals um we felt like we needed to tell a story that was closer to home and it it, it sort of completed an, an, an unintended trilogy so uh, the three films address the, the 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 environmental crisis that we are all uh, suffering through and trying to understand and trying to trying to um tackle in our in our own ways uh and um so it, it was eventually called a trilogy, but that wasn't the intention. And the fifth season, which had a working title of Silent Spring, actually, uh -huh. <laughs> changed at the last, almost at the last minute in the post-production. Uh, this was um, uh, built around a concept, uh, an idea, uh, a question, actually. Um, what if spring didn't come? Yeah, so this was uh, this was uh, uh, um, and a sort of uh, explosive starting point. It came it's like it's like a, like a thunder, and we thought, ah, oh, and how would this manifest? And how would a small community like our own uh, react to that? So it was a big gymnastics of the imagination. But uh, we incorporated, uh, like we do everywhere, wherever we're working, uh, local emergencies. So, in fact, uh, the yeah the 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 fact that the 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 bees are disappearing, for example, uh, the fact that our our landscapes are 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 becoming more and more unpredictable. Uh, and where will this lead us? So, so one Hadak in 2006 was um, it, it was in the 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 context of the end of nomadism and uh, and carries discreetly seems like the Gobi moving. Yeah, the Gobi is on the move, and and uh, so embedded in the story are all these ecological crises. Uh, and the same with Altiplano, which was very had really a specific uh, source there. Uh, yes, this is my, my my next question in terms of um, speaking to sort of how each film is dealing with a a specific sort of regional uh, manifestation of the climate crisis. I was wondering whether you could speak about um, sort of because, of course, we're in the film. We're in this fictional town of Torobamba. But it's based on um, an actual tragic um, real event that is still unfolding, um, sort of a neo-colonial event that happened in 2000 in Peru. So I was hoping you could speak a little bit about that for, for the audience. Yes. Yeah, so so we 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 took our um, 
Well, we what happened was that when you when you make a first film, you 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 never presume or assume that you are going to have the privilege to make a second. And we uh, uh, with Hadak, uh, we we uh, had a, a world premiere in in Venice where we won an award, which was film stock for a new film <laughs> for a second fiction feature. And so we knew, okay, we're 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 you know. We're on a roll. We're going to be able to work further. And what brought us to South America was, uh, um, in large part, due to Peter, uh, his uh, his years of work in in Ecuador and in Peru, working in the high Andes, and more specifically, a study about punitive suicide. Mm. So he had uh, some very uh, serious baggage in hand, and uh, and this was unknown territory for me. Uh, so we took. We took uh, um, this sort of leap, <laughs> leap of faith, and basically moved to Peru. Uh, and but since we had for years and years been uh, um, working on documentaries and then fiction in Mongolia, where we had spent, uh, uh, I mean, uh, you know, uh, a lot of time uh, researching the mining industry Mongolia is a bit of an El Dorado as well uh, and in that case we're talking about uranium gold copper coal and so mines of all sorts is something that's somewhat of a specialty of ours so it's very natural that we would be drawn up to the Andes uh, into a territory that Peter already knew uh, uh, and that we started roaming around with uh, uh, quite an open mind, a couple of story elements uh, in mind, but we came across very quickly, immediately actually, the story of Choro Pampa, uh, which uh, which you've mentioned, which where there was this mercury spill. And uh, it's uh, it happened in June uh, in 2000. There were trucks uh, uh, transporting from mercury from the Yanacocha mine, a huge, it's the South America's largest gold mine, down. And canisters were 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 poorly attached to the back of a truck, and there was this colossal spill of 150 kilograms of mercury scattering through the village of Toropampa and two neighboring villages. And of course, the, the the local people didn't know what it was and gathered it, uh, kept it, um, played with it, uh, put it, stored it in little uh, vials under their pillow. Um, children were thrilled. I mean, it's a beautiful substance. Uh, and quickly a, a sort of cleanup crew arrived, but they didn't clean up adequately and they didn't inform the local uh, population about the dangers. And there's, uh, it's very well documented in documentaries. We saw documentaries about it. You can find them easily online immediately. You just look up Choro Pampa and the, the whole tragic tale is there for all to, 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 to see. Um, and that this, <clears throat> this tale was so 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 heartbreaking and then when you learn that um the mine yanacocha which is uh, um, an american uh, it's part of newmont corporation is um didn't handle it well and still and 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 still to this day it remains an, an unfolding tragedy with a very overcrowded cemetery and 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 everybody everybody in the community suffering uh, 
terribly from this spill. Uh, so we were deeply moved by this, horrified, obviously, and uh, and thought that this was a this was a prime element in our story. Um, and we knew from the start we wanted an image maker to come into this story as well. And that's what that was the character of Grace that was built over time. Yeah. And, and um, then, in the, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, no, no. I was just going to mention yeah, the one of the, you know, articles that you, you you kindly passed along to me to me the other day sort of spoke to the ways in which even today children have health effects that, you know, we we watched that we see unfolding in in the film um there are still people again today who maybe in their 20s or 30s are are passing away and, and having early deaths um yeah. so there's this way in which the film um it, it's it's uh depicting events that still have so much resonance and and power today um Absolutely. one of the other um pillars that you discussed in you were mentioning grace of course but then the other pillar um in terms of her character, but then also her as an actress, um, is Magali Solier. Um, yeah. And of course, you know, this is just, for me, she's been one of my, you know, favorite actresses to follow over the past several years. Um, her film, I think I saw this maybe just right before um, Altiplano. So her new uh, Chilean film, Lina de Lima, is fantastic. Um, this is somebody who's, you know, an artist representative for UNESCO. And essentially the one of the one of if not the face of Peruvian cin cinema on an international scale yeah. um so I was just wondering whether you could speak about that experience of of working with her um yeah and, and just sort of uh maybe some some you know key memories or something uh, or something to that effect from experiences well she she's uh she's phenomenal I had seen her in uh, we had seen her in Madinusa, uh film Another by beautiful film, yes. <laughs> beautiful film, Claudia Yosa. And we met Claudia and uh befriended her and we said, Wow, we would really like to to meet Magali because uh, she's yeah, the she one. <laughs> <laughs> so we met in Lima and I think even in our first probably our first trip there and uh and, and immediately um we connected and uh, had a, a very, very warm and trusting dialogue from the start. And she, she sensed that we were careful and cautious and aware of the the minefield of the the themes we were looking at. And uh, but very, um, she felt like we were. Um, very open, open-minded. And uh, so she she just tumbled into it with us. So I also told her from the start, I said, you know, uh, mm, the character of Saturnina is something that needs to, is so, so bold and and uh, so, so demanding uh, that uh, really required that she be part of the, construction of the character on every level so that she had to really dig around in the darkest uh, corners of her past and and really you know bring to life in the in the in the in the role uh some very um, frightening and, and heavy and at the same time uh light and uh um true dimensions and she got it she totally understood and so we built it together we spent a lot of time together uh also for for uh 
for me, I thought it was very important in the village where we shot in Sibayo that we spend time there together uh, with the, the women of the community and getting to know each other. And mm. yeah, this was actually my, um, you know, sort of getting at my, my next question in terms of um, obviously, as we've mentioned, each of the films in the trilogy is sort of dealing with, uh, again, uh, environmental crises that are both very regional but also uh, planetary, right? Um, and so I was just wondering, as um, as you were speaking to, you know, both uh, you, yourself and Peter are a European filmmaking duo. So just speaking to some of the of the ethics and approaches for you that were really important coming into this, um, you know, very particular Latin American, or even more specifically, like um, indigenous Peruvian story. Um, again, as we mentioned, based on on true events. For me. Um, you know, Eduardo Galeano's uh, famous text, The Open Veins of Latin America, was like, you know, in mind in, during each screening of the film. Um, but yeah, if you could just speak to some of the ways in which, um, you know, you approached working with, um, you know, the communities in which you were shooting, um, maybe some of the, you know, the ethical commitments or challenges and how you navigated some of those spaces. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The well, we're very aware uh, of um, ethical challenges. Huh? When you're working in a community that's not your own, uh, how do you navigate this? At what point are you entitled to tell stories and what's legitimate? How do you how do you, you know, sustain some integrity, authenticity? And I mean, making films is anyway such a collective effort. So, yeah, it's it's very much um, rooted in our behavior from the start, which was um, to approach it as a as a as a collaboration with them. So and and I mean, on every level. So working with anthropologists and sociologists, uh, academics in Lima, Arequipa, uh, uh, reading extensively and and most importantly spending time up in the Andes in the region where we decided to shoot um, to get a sense of these antagonisms to un to to attempt to understand them nominally and uh, to to um, arrive at a zone a comfort zone where where uh, where we felt um, uh, equipped equipped so we and and we knew that every detail in the story had to have um had to be handled very carefully we're talking about rituals and uh, costumes and masks i mean this is all sacred territory and there's this syncretism so you have the 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 andean uh, beliefs you know and 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 uh, um rituals and traditions that have to be handled carefully. There's the virgin uh, who is always surrounded by uh, the sun and the moon, for example. Uh, this is the, this is uh, this is the way it is there. And so it had to be studied carefully and respectfully. So all the artisans who recreated these masks are, are local and uh, um and we we were we were we were really strict down to the finest detail that every little detail of everything had to be correct. The 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 morning scene uh, uh, next to Saturnina's uh, coffin when there are 
seven angels and seven devils who are having a game of dice uh, right. to determine right. where you know the destiny of her soul i mean these are all drawn from 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 there this is really how it happens the burning of the clothes for example uh the masks of the aukis these mountain spirits that appear at several moments uh in the film so we knew that this had to be uh uh handled really uh respectfully and and i think i mean this involves you know dozens and dozens of people uh different skill sets and and if and giving them you know really the freedom to create propose to challenge us at all times uh, created a, a, an atmosphere of trust so it's really made with them it's not us coming in with uh you know preconceptions um uh with a an, any kind of um uh, yeah prejudices really so it's a way of working um that we know can you know this we know you know we're very very aware also the same in mongolia we're not mongolian but uh, i i learned i speak mongolian or spoke it <laughs> language is critical so i had to learn yeah, spanish yeah, there's so there. many languages in the film that's something that um <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that one really has to be mindful of. I mean, myself, I'm bilingual. Um, and but then, yeah, you, you understand that there's just this way in which the film acts as a. Um, not only is it sort of you know multi-locational, we're dealing with like different different temporalities, but also, um, of course, different languages across those regions and so on, and and the ways in which yeah. they interact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Grace, I mean, she's speaking in Farsi with her sister, and like what? So I mean, it's very complex, but that is the world that we live in. I mean, how many of us are, are dual nationalities, speak multiple languages, and uh, yeah, it's uh... well, one way that I think the film um, also sort of deals with this really in a really beautiful and very interesting way um, is through music, right? Where music, the music in the film also acts as this really interesting bridge um, again across different spaces um different sort of uh cultural boundaries and so i was just wondering whether you could speak a little bit about some of the um about some of the the making of the music and how that came to be because it's just such a potent part of the film yeah and uh, and uh it's very bold i mean music it is, is yeah. uh, one of the motors one of the it's, it's uh undeniably a very very important aspect of the experience and music is so it's so personal so it's it's almost impossible to speak about music uh but in the end the only the true question is in the editing process when you're pulling it together is does it work i mean for us as the makers and and, and emotionally and that, that was always the that's the marker we used to use and so yeah we didn't we 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 had a piece in mind uh goretzky's third symphony uh very early in the process as well as a, a piece from uh, Komitas, uh, the uh, um, Armenian uh, composer, and Richard Einhorn, the American composer of contemporary classical music. So we had these sort of three pieces of music, which are large. Uh, <laughs> they are very present, bombastic, you can even say very, and then you feel, I mean, they were like, like, um, uh, 
they in a sense they were like lighthouses for us like they right. were they gave us a, gave us our bearings during the process we're like wait we have to come back to the timber of that emotion because that's really essential for the experience and uh and these pieces carried us through the whole process and survived and we were able to negotiate the rights and they're in the film <laughs> This doesn't always happen, but um, especially the piece of Goretzky, which carries the last 10 minutes of the of the film. This was really something we had to struggle to really like, wow, we have to really, um, in a sense, uh, earn this, you know, to feel like we've, we've achieved something that is, you know, um, that's uh, worthy of, of, you know, of, of incorporating this music, which is so majestic, so grand. Yeah. So, but in all of our films, we make quite bold choices in, in music and uh, there are no borders in music. Uh, you know, there, we didn't never have any ethical quandaries on that matter, <laughs> but to come back to the ethics, I think we both hail from documentary, which I think is interesting to mention. Yes, uh, definitely. And, Oh, yeah. yeah, and before uh, Hadak, we have both each of us made documentaries. Me in Morocco, Peter in South America, and in Mongolia. And then I was shooting in Mongolia, where we actually met there. And um, we we uh, came to a point where um, we had to make this necessary step into fiction because that was where we felt most comfortable, and that that uh, that was where we would. Uh, navigate most freely and most uh, effectively reach maybe truthful moments that were you know that was that was a and it was unexpected neither of us ever had any intention of, of directing fiction feature films this was never in our on our, <laughs> our radar but it came out of a, a necessity and it comes it's from it's born from this you know this it's a fact that when you you have a relationship with your subjects and your your partners or so when, when you're in a documentary environment it's totally different from when you're in a, a fictional uh, uh, a, a fiction film construction the 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 pact is completely different actually because in fiction you have an agreement we know the goal we have a common end. Uh, there's a script there are contracts there you know people are paid for their time and work they're valorized for their input they're they're listened to carefully there's it's a completely different environment than uh and documentary is 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 a completely other way of working it's it involves a degree of manipulation naturally that's constantly there and it's a different kind of pact and exchange not to belittle or undermine documentary in any way whatsoever not at all but Peter and I both felt comfortable in making things clear. It's like lay it all out. And this is how we're operating and we're working together on this. So we felt really comfortable with that that uh, terrain, <laughs> ethical terrain. It suits us much better. Yeah. Just to transition just for, for a moment, um, but the film, like we talked about how sort of it's this interconnection of, again, different temporalities of different spaces, um, but also just, you know, this, again, fictional town of Torobamba as sort of a, a meeting point, right, in terms of state violence, in terms of these extractive operations, in terms of, um, you know, locals, outsiders in, in the region working in the mines or working for, um, you know, NGOs. I, for me, one of the moments that really struck me the most recent time that I was screening the film is this moment where Max is speaking with a miner. Um, just, you know, saying hello and these sorts of things. But it shows that it, it or it reminds us that oftentimes um, there are these, um, you know, 
uh, points of interconnection, right, between NGOs and these mines, um, you know, in various extractive zones, or so it sort of hints to some of those um, histories that may or may not be the case in this, you know, fictional fictional uh, context. Um, but essentially, for me, it reminds me of, um, you know, Anibal Quijano's concept of coloniality, or sort of the afterlives of colonialism. Um, so I was just wondering, like, you know, for you, as again, the sort of this nexus point of all these different um, you know, histories of, of various forms of, of either colonial or state violence, uh, you know, how does one approach, you know, uh, filming this? Like, how does one approach filming coloniality or filming the Anthropocene? Because, um, and obviously this is such a big question, but, uh, you know, so I apologize <laughs> for that, but but any sort of, I, I don't know, like thoughts along the way in terms of capturing these huge forces, right, that impact, um, you know, all of us in different ways and on different scales all, all over the globe? And all the time. Yeah, yeah. No, well, the more specific, the better. I mean, the more precise we could be in our storytelling, the bigger the story we could tell. I mean, it's from droplets of mercury tumbling through a village. And it's uh, itinerant eye doctors who come in, who from their local perspective are part of a larger machinery. Uh, of extraction, you can say. I mean, the the outsider is. I mean, the suspicions and the antagonisms are, are really real. Are really real, and you know, yeah. And uh, that that uh, brings to mind. Uh, there's one moment where um, the fr um, uh, frustrated uh, villagers who were visiting the cataract clinic are leave because they 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 start to mistrust. The intentions of the doctors who are operating there and they call uh they they hiss as they leave the the clinic uh, uh pistaco uh, and th this is a uh, just a word dropped in the story uh which uh which is uh, a fascinating dimension uh of the story we don't explain it but there it is and and pistaco is a sort of phenomenon it's a it's a an, an old uh belief um born from a kind of terror of the outsider and it was this sort of mythical figure of the white man tall leather boots sword I mean a lot of them came through there <laughs> and left you know centuries of destruction in their wake but these pistaco figures are also it's a it's kind of a mythical figure but it's it's a real fear that that inhabits people's minds and and uh, um the this pistaco figure is uh, uh is uh considered someone who uh who it, it, who can kidnap children who can uh you know when people disappear local communities have been known to to blame this on the pistacos it's an idea that these these foreign white men they 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 actually you know the they take the lives of locals and they purge their bodies they dismember them they take the body fat and they incorporate the body fat into the machinery that's used to extract minerals and to drive their trucks and fascinating fascinating so this is this one example of a very small um element in the story which is actually in, uh, um uh fits very naturally in the context but leaves max for example reeling because he obviously he understands that he understands nothing <laughs> of what's going on he's naive he's idealistic he's there with good intentions but he's part of a huge machinery and he's perceived of anyway as an outsider and outsiders have brought in general only strife 
and 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 destruction and left left only uh, all, you know if, yeah so much uh, pain and loss in 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 their wake and i had kind of speaking to, you know going back just a little bit to you know the extractive zone itself right the the mine in the region um i was wondering this was something that that again struck me was you never um again unless if i missed it you know you and peter made the decision to never show the mine instead we see you know trucks right these trucks from the mine constantly going to and from um in in so many scenes like i was really sort of paying attention to this and the trucks yeah. are, are almost um omnipresent they're always there so i was just wondering um if you could speak a little bit to the this decision to to never show the mine right well, there there are two reasons. One is it never occurred to us <laughs> because actually from the point of view of the community, all they see are I these see, right? huge trucks leaving right. like huge clouds of dust, trucks that like storm through all over the Andes, these villages, and they just come uh, storming through. It's part of the landscape, actually, these trucks. Uh, um, and that was sufficient for us because that was also sort of the point of view of the villagers. All they see is the dust and the, the noise and the, the coming and going, yeah, without participating. They're like they they're 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 passed by <laughs> by these you know aggressive machines that never slow down, also. So this is there, they're there all the time, they're passing all the time, day and night, and this is so violent, and just the suggestion of where they're coming from and where they're going to and what huge machinery they're part of uh, was for us sufficient. But then the, the other level is that because we're so open in how we operate, um, you know, the story was clear, the intentions were clear, uh, the partners all knew what we were doing, the local partners, uh, the co-producers in Lima, I mean, you, you, you actually, we were never granted access to the mines. We, we, I, we, we, because we love visiting mines, it's something we do, but uh, we, we would never have been allowed to film, never would have been allowed to film in Yanagocha in a million years. So this is like, this was, it never even, I mean, we knew that it had we, had we had that wish, it was an impossibility. We would have had to uh, either, yeah, by archive imagery or so, but is from the point of view of, of the, the villagers, they, they are never allowed near these mines either, unless they work inside them. Yeah, so, so, and it didn't seem so necessary. The canister, the mercury tells the big story as well. And uh, I mean, the intention was really not to, um, to, identify Anacocha and, and Numont and, and to condemn uh, this. There is enough, um, there are enough uh, documentaries and in, in, in about this and investigative journalists who've worked on this and NGOs working on this. We thought that what the, what which sort of added value could we bring? And this is in the fictional, more poetic approach and storytelling where we thread these things together, uh, and 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 I think uh, um, in the spirit of like um, suggesting that there's you know there's 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 hope you know for mutual understanding, yeah, and uh, and communication. Yeah. Something that you're uh, 
comments are leading me to to reflect on is just the way in which, um, you know, again, and this will lead to sort of my next question um, in regards to sort of zone thinking that potentially maybe maybe in the film, but the extractive zone, right, the mine, um, both in the the real events that the film is is you know drawing inspiration from, um, as well as in the fictional uh, film, there's a way in which the mine doesn't just stay in the mine like the extractive zone doesn't just stay in this one place right it becomes um it moves to the town so there's this sort of permeability um yeah between again this this idea of like this is where the mining happens it happens in this space you know over here away from you know communities and these sorts of things and that's just not the case um, no, no, not at all, because they, they're digging up sacred mountains. I mean, for these communities, uh, these are living landscapes where that, that are really alive and full of, of, of spirits and, and spirits and, 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 and have to be honored and respected and cared for. And the minds like, you know, dig cavities out of, in mountainsides that should be left alone and and so there's an overlap constantly uh the glaciers uh that are you know disappearing at a shocking rate in in uh in peru i mean this is this alone is alarming and that's and that's all connected, actually. I mean, for some of their rituals, like Ignacio, the fiancé has to go up. This is something that, that the, the groom does in that community. You have to go up and, and fetch a bit of ice from the glacier and bring it down. And you bless your bride with this. This is an ancient uh, tradition. and But there's, you know, the ice is disappearing. <laughs> like... Yeah, this is also connected to to the to the climate, uh, the violence. Yeah, yeah, because of course the um, the the screening is um, you know a collaboration between you know our amazing partners at the Carsey Wolf Center, but then also the the Media Studies Journal Media Fields in this conference that's happening um, uh, the the next day after the screening on uh, zones of mediation. Um, and so the zone, of course, coming from from the Greek, is about uh, this idea of sort of uh, girdling or encircling. And so I think some of the things that you've spoken to have sort of given us some initial um, sites, uh, initial entry points into sort of zone thinking or some of the zone theor theorizations, right, that are happening in your film. I'm not sure if there's anything else that you wanted to speak to that specifically since you already have kind of talked through it. But um, yeah, what do you, is there anything else you'd like to add before we move to, I think, maybe our last question? I mean, when in the construction of the film, uh, we're um, we're never thinking of theory. <laughs> I mean, yeah, as as screenwriters. So in the initial phase of writing and research, where it's very it's very like nuts and bolts, practical, the pragmatics of plots and all these things, and working with the story elements and how does it all fit together? Where we 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 are so deeply embedded in in details and process that we we never we don't don't only after the fact reflect a little about what how could that be interpreted so we never come in with that as a conscious intention to 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 to, to bring a theory to life or or even to embed symbols that are important to us no everything emerges from the work actually everything emerges from the field work um 
but zone, yeah, I mean, I think, but also interesting to note, Anthropocene was was a, not uh, even a word that we, you know, we used in those days. This is not so long ago. It's only quite recent. This is, this is like early two thousands, right? Like two thousand. Oh, we shot, yeah, we were we were we were in Peru two thousand beginning two thousand and six five six seven eight. We shot an eight and released the film in two thousand and nine. So it's not that long ago, actually but we weren't thinking in those terms we were just coming from years of field work in the mines and 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 in completely devoted to these themes and work we were doing in mongolia and we brought all this passion and conviction and curiosity uh to to south america um uh but but the anthropocene we, it's not even a word that was in our in our vocabulary at the time, which is very interesting. It's totally infused all of our films. Oh, yeah, all those are there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> but we're I mean, we're the history we're aware of. I mean, how, you know, the the first to the the yeah, when the Europeans first came into to the region, they they disrupted the entire ecosystem and the, the decimation of the population meant that the forests grew rapidly and then the coastline was totally transformed because the, I mean the stories are endless. So we were aware of all of these things, but not interpreting them in zoning. <laughs> I think even what you're what yes. you're speaking to in regards to um you know this this last point especially about the connections between colonialism and the Anthropocene in a scholarly context. Um, and, and of course, you know, there's always um, some, you know, scholar or thinker or philosopher who sort of said earlier versions of things, but it seems that that particular connection is something that's become a lot more um, emphasized and uh, thought through within the past, you know, seven to eight years, maybe a bit longer, but, but yes. so in, in certain ways, there are certain, um, you know, aspects of, of the trilogy holistically that are thinking through things that are even preceding some of the really important scholarship, um, thinking about, of course, Catherine Yusuf's amazing book, A Billion Black Anthropocenes or None. Um, but so, yeah, I just think that that's something that's of note where, uh, yeah, where, you're, where your films are thinking through these important inter intersections. I guess we will have to leave that to the academics. <laughs> We're just doing our craft. <laughs> the last question. Our I... ability and with all the convictions we have about, uh, you know, where where we work and why we do what we do and uh, but we're hopeful nonetheless. I mean, I think dedicating uh, so much and taking so much risk in order to create cinema is. Uh, uh, requires anyway a degree of hope uh, that, uh, that that there is a to what greater purpose in our humble sort of role in this whole thing is hopefully to transmit you know and to 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 provoke uh, you know contemplation about the bigger bigger picture of course Choro Pampa I mean we're privileged we're filmmakers based in Europe and uh, you know we can fly to South America and 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 create film with uh, and and you know we don't we don't suffer the tragedy that the people for example of, of Choro Pampa are suffering through 
for sure. But it is our story. We're all part of this, you know, we're part of, all of us are part of mechanisms that are part of the bigger picture. And so in the big, big, big picture, we do belong there as well. I mean, you know, I'm American born. The mine didn't take responsibility for the catastrophe in Chorupampa as American. I mean, these are our stories. These are our stories. And some, you know, there are, are absolutely people who suffer much more uh, than uh, we do. But in the big picture, we're all, we're all, we, we are all suffering. Yeah. Yeah. This is, again, just leading me to to think about, you know, the ways in which thinking again, specifically within sort of Latin American cinema, you know, the ways in which uh, the Anthropocene thinking is manifested within third cinema, perhaps, and all of these other sorts of questions that now I really want to begin to to think through and, and research. So thank you so much for, for raising these points. Um, the last question that I wanted to, to ask from you is, so in the film, the image, right, so photography in particular, functions as a tool of um, inscription, recording, distributions, um, and we might add like remembering so something like this or, rem or remembrance, ideas of remembrance. Um, we might think about the, you know, some of the, the opening scenes, of course, in terms of grace um, being forced to capture, right, this, this act of of violence um, to capture this 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 murder, um, and then of course we have this um, politically motivated suicide at the end um, that's filmed. So could yes. you speak a bit, uh, you know, about how you were thinking through? Because it seems to me that the film, in in that way, is very much trying to think through the role of of film and media of of different sorts, right, in sort of this this moment of of climate disaster. Um, so any just sort of maybe uh, yeah reflections on, on that? Well, I mean, I, I think that uh, it's a bit, the fact that uh, Saturnina films her own demise uh, is uh, was a was a from from the very beginning a crucial narrative uh, point uh, plot point. So there was never any question about that and the photograph of Omar as he's assassinated so these two images one a video image which is uh, like um, a weapon and one a photograph that's made in compromised in a compromising situation which ends up a celebrated image but is something that is a source of huge trauma for the photographer herself had she not been there with that guy whose name was Omar he would not have been assassinated yeah mm. so I mean how powerful and we're very uh we're, we've been thinking about this of course for years and years uh the role of the image and the and beauty I mean the uh if you look at uh, the controversial work uh, figure of Salgado and his uh, you know uh, beautifying of of poverty, you can say, and um, these these are concerns of all of us image makers. But there's no denying that image making is age old, <laughs> and it's 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 used in in so many multiple ways. It's an essential part of the human experience, and uh, and is a weapon sometimes. Is is dangerous, incredibly dangerous at others. It's a market. You know, yeah, I mean, I was, uh, you know, thinking in these past days about um, 
yeah, all the, you know, stories I know around me, colleagues of mine, uh, uh, yeah, filming poverty, for example, crossing over borders, filming the other, uh, where, when are we entitled to do so, and who is entitled to do so, and who pays for it, and why, and where does it, you know, where does this work end up? Actually, one of the, it's interesting to mention, one of the main sources of inspiration for the imagery uh, in in the film was actually uh, um, Tafos. It's a, um, a series of workshops in Peru uh, between 1986 and uh, 1998, where uh, local communities up in the in the Andes, indigenous communities, were, were provided with cameras. <clears throat> and photograph their their own uh, their lives and uh, the result is a, it's a it's a stunning uh, 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 collection and archive of black and white photography and uh, and those photographs we actually used in our con the construction of some of our scenes so we actually re like literally recreated them I mean this is I have it here <laughs> This is the this is the book, you see? The yes, yes. Book, right, yes, yes. And so this is these are the this is these images are, are, are direct inspiration for some of our scenes. And these are, you know, images shot through the lens of local people living up there, uh telling their own stories in their own manner. Uh and so this I think it's a um, it's important to mention, I think that uh, that uh, you know, the, in the case of those workshops there in in those years, they people were able to create an incredibly valuable uh, document, but also they're aesthetically like shockingly beautiful collection of, of imagery, and so you 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 have, yeah, it's it's it was a huge inspiration to us. Uh, also and and it was a way in in a way of borrowing but okay film is <laughs> we're constantly borrowing <laughs> and bringing things together and that felt very 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 right to to recreate and rebuild images that have been lensed by people who live up there uh, yeah we found that very valuable yeah but yeah we're we're <clears throat> The image is is, uh, is uh, something to be at least thought about very carefully. I mean, I think that the best we can do is to to stimulate the coming generations to slow down and think about, you know, the still image, the moving image, the the, the tsunami of imagery to, to to take time and to think about the ethics of it. I mean. Uh, you all as academics and us as filmmakers, it's a sacred territory and dangerous and powerful and exciting. And uh, yeah, it's part of our life. It's such, it, it's all of us are surrounded by it. We consume it all day, every day, and, and sometimes without reflecting. Yeah, some of your, your comments there are leading me to think um, about, we were chatting about this the other day, but the the sometimes conscious, sometimes even unconscious influences of of somebody like Andrei Tarkovsky in your work and these sorts of things. But these these things will have to be discussed at another time. 
Um, <laughs> but I just wanted to thank you so much on behalf of, again, on um, on behalf of the Carsey Wolf Center and also on behalf of the, the Media Fields Conference uh, Zones of Mediation that will be uh, being carried out over the next uh, two days. Thank you so much, Jessica, for, for your time and, and for offering on these amazing insights into your still very, very important film. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.com.